All right. Well, good morning. So glad you're here. So grateful that you've chosen to worship with us. Thanks to all of you that are joining us online. Really grateful that you're here. Um, it has been a week, right? Another, another week has gone by. And uh, for, I feel like every Sunday for, for uh, you know, five years, I could stand here and go, man, what is happening in the world today? It has been a season for sure. And uh, I think the most powerful thing we can do is pray in these moments. There's so much power in that. The scripture points us to that. I spent some time this week just writing a short prayer guide based on my understanding of what's happening and also talking to people uh, that are deeply affected at the grassroots level in that region. And so I put that on my blog. It's just brianhaines.org or social media, all my social media stuff. If you want to grab that, you can grab it there. Uh, just join me in praying uh, daily for the situation. This is the best thing that we can do uh, at the moment. And I appreciate you being a church that prays, that intercedes, uh, because there's, there's power in that. We are in a series in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 5 this morning. We'll specifically look at Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 1 to 11. And uh, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you, but I want you to be able to look at the scripture uh, closely. So if you need to pull your app, your Bible, uh, whatever, so that you can see what is here, because it is so good. It is so celebratory. It is, it, it is much to rejoice about, these 11 verses today. So remember, we've been following a longer letter. So this entire book of Romans is a letter written to the church at Rome in the Roman Empire. And inside that church, it's made up of uh, new believers that are Gentile, Roman in background, and believers that are Jewish in background. And they've all come together in this particular church. And it's, it's beginning to thrive in the midst of its historical context, which is difficult. In that context, you know, Caesar is God. Opulence, wealth, success is the goal. Um, you, you have a Caesar known as the son of God, Augustus Caesar. He has a gospel. Uh, it is the good news of Rome, the Pax Romana that comes with power and might and economy and all of that. And, and the disciples show up and they plant churches uh, and the gospel begins to spread, but it's a different gospel. It's not the gospel of Rome. It's the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth the risen son of God, and, and that's the, the clash with the culture, uh, but it's, it's flourishing, and it's flourishing because of what Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says. It's the summary of all chapters 1 through 4. This is this beginning phrase in, the, in Romans 5 verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it's everything that Romans 1 through 4 is talking about. And the next 11 verses gives us three clear things we should be jumping up and down about as followers of Jesus, both uh, for the, the followers of Jesus in the church of Rome that originally received this letter, but also for us today. So would you stand with me? We will read Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. <clears throat> And uh, if you're our guest, we do say this phrase at the end of the main text reading, it, just the phrase, the very words, it distinguishes uh, God's word from my own. So Romans chapter 5, 1 to 11 says, 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You can be seated. Glad to be seated. It's good to be seated. I could hear this like, oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so funny. Anyway, <clears throat> so we, have, we do. We have some things to celebrate this morning as we think about this summary passage of all of the beginning of this letter. So let me just make three observations, three things that we really should, should celebrate. The first thing that Paul says to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 5, 1 to 2, is that we have peace with God and unprecedented access to him. We in Christ, because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God and unprecedented access to him. Now, I think in our context, we make this um, very joyful point, benign. Oh, yeah, we have peace with God and we have access to him. But I want you to think about it for, for a minute. What is this peace with God? Look at the, the verse again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, what is this peace with God? In the biblical sense, to have peace with God means, catch this, it means to be in relationship with God in which all hostility caused by sin has been removed. To be in a relationship with God in which all hostility caused by sin has been removed. Now, we already know for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sin. Uh, it causes, according to the scripture, hostility. It uses words like this, hostility, alienation. It makes us enemies of God, this thing called sin that we all have. So this peace with God, then, it is a peace with God that's been made through Jesus, and it's a relationship with God that causes all hostility to, to, to be removed. It is no longer, catch this, it is no longer to be under the eventual and final judgmental wrath of God. Like, that's gone for you as a follower of Jesus. You will stand before the judge and be deemed righteous because of the work of Christ on the cross. You've been justified 
by faith. Come on, more of that, more of that. <clears throat> Check this out. Peace is also joyful in the experience of harmony with God now. It's not just for later, but there is this, there's this sense in which that shalom with God gives us a harmony with him that, that, that gives us this relationship with him only through Christ that changes everything and changes who we are even now. Paul said this when he wrote to the, the letter to the church at Colossae in chapter 1, 19 to 22. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Not just anyone's blood, the blood of Christ, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Think about this for just a moment. You, a sinner, justified by faith, saved by grace, if I'm reading the scripture correctly, you're above reproach before God. Wow. I mean, that is shalom. That is peace. That is like whatever happens else to me, it doesn't matter because I've been justified by faith, that I have peace with God, that I, I, I can approach him. It also says, if you follow the scripture, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith in him. So what is this access that this peace has given us, given way to, this access? Well, we have the right to approach God and abide in him, to remain in him. This is like this is temple language, this access language. And I, I want you to understand it for just a moment. For the Jewish hearer that was in that Roman church receiving this letter, they hear temple when they hear access. So what does that mean? Well, if you were to visit the temple in the first century this, uh, and you were to, to go there as a Gentile, you would uh, find yourself walking up to Jerusalem because everything is up from there. And you get to the temple area, and you begin to walk up to the temple mount, <clears throat> and the stairs are actually not even. They're, they're, they're made so that you really have to think how you step going up there. You can't just run up the stairs because you'll trip. You have to think about who you're approaching when you go up there. And then when you get up there, the most outer court in the temple complex, the most outer court is the Gentile court. This is the people's court. So people from all over the world could come that far. You as a Gentile from the nations, a non-Jewish person, you could come, if you fear God, you could come into that Gentile court. But that is as far as you could go. That's it. That's as close as you're going to get. Inside that Gentile court is a woman's court, a women's court, and that's for the Jewish women. And so they could go beyond the Gentile court into the women's court, but that was as close as you could get to the presence of God. And the presence of God is located inside the Holy of Holies behind a very thick and tall curtain. It tells us the Ark of the Covenant is in, this, in there, mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and the presence of God dwelled with the people in that Holy of Holies. The women, if you're a Jewish woman, you could go into that women's court. But that's as 
close as you could get. And then there's a priestly court. And the priestly court is for the priestly line, the temple priests. They can go a step further into the priestly court to take care of the sacrificial things and all those things that need to happen. But that is as close as they can get. But then one time a year, the high priest on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he can go after washing, after putting on the right clothes, after eating the right food, after making sure that he hasn't done anything that is uh, uh, against the, the Torah, against the law, he can go inside on that day, just that one day, inside the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the sins of the people. One person has access. Now, what we're reading here is that now you have peace with God, and it's not like it was anymore. Now, everyone in Christ has been justified by faith. They're above reproach. You have access to the holy of holies. You can abide in his presence. You can remain in his presence. You can go there anytime you want. Paul said to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are also, or you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, the door has been opened to you through Christ and you can remain, you can come in, stay in the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 22, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. You might remember or you might have read that on the day that Jesus was crucified, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from all the other courts in the temple, it was ripped. It was torn into, this is a massive curtain, very thick. It was torn into miraculously by the power of God. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is, is, is hearkening back to. He opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, our great high priest is now Jesus, who has justified us by faith, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the writer Paul is saying to the people of the church at Rome, like, you have been granted peace because you've been justified by faith, and that gives you access to God, unprecedented access to God. You, you, can, you can go in anytime you want. N.T. Wright, the theologian, says, as a result of being justified by faith, we are in a state of grace, a status, a position where we are surrounded by God's Love and generosity invited to breathe it in as our native air. As we do so, we realize that this is what we were made for, that it is truly what the human existence ought to be like, and that is the beginning of something so big, so massive, so unimaginably beautiful and powerful that we almost burst as we think of it. It's the air we breathe, or it's supposed to be. So Taylor Swift is not God. Did you know? She's not. <clears throat> but, but if I had, which I don't, I don't have, this is for illustrative purposes only, but if I had 
if I had for her next concert, her next gathering, if I had an all-access backstage pass, unlimited access, and not only that, you can hang out with her whenever you want. Who's buying? Some of you are in here. You're up. <laughs> You're up for it. Here's Swifties. How many? Come on, let me see. Right. The guy, one guy last hour, he, he, he was excited. And I was like, you're not the guy I would have picked. There are some people I would have picked, but not you. But he was a Swifty. Um, so why? Because, because people want to get close. They want to have access. They want to know because of the celebrity and the fame and the vibe and all that. I'm telling you, that is chump change compared to your access to a holy God. It's petty. It's it's, I set you up, you know, but it is, it is. So my question is why, if we have so much access, then the sidebar has to be like, you have to think, why don't I make use of such access? Why don't I walk into his presence on a regular basis? Why is it not the air that I breathe? Why don't I open my scripture and go to prayer? Why not? Because I've been given this access, you know? Sidebar, but this thing to celebrate, we have peace with God and unprecedented access to him because of Jesus. And this is where you say, exactly. Because otherwise you're outside the camp. You're outside. Sin is outside of that. You have to be justified by faith in order to have access, in order to have peace. Second thing we should celebrate, the writer says we should celebrate this access to our glorious God in our hope and our suffering, in our hope and our suffering. So if you look at verse two and following, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But Paul is telling us here, like, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access to him now. But we have hope. Because of that access, we have hope in his promises to come. Now, there are, uh, in theological terms, three tenses of salvation. There's this justification, saved by faith, right? It's the present tense reality that I've I've just been made above reproach by the blood of Jesus because I've put my faith, my trust in him. And there's this sanctification, this walking out of your faith in the present reality all of your life, and you're going to have hopes, and you're going to have sufferings, and all of that. And there is this future tense, this glorification that is promised that says you're going to have a new body. It'll be perfect, no disease, no, no effect of sin. There's no more tear, no more crying, no more pain anymore, new Jerusalem, new heaven. All sin is put outside the camp. Everything is restored. That is the glorification that is coming. Just like the justification happened and the, pre- the sanctification is happening, the glorification is coming. So we hope in the glory of God that was taken away from us, that was redu- we, we, we lost access to because of our sin and idolatry. Think about the Garden of Eden. 
they sinned. Until they sinned, they're walking in the presence of God. They had access. They had peace with God. Sin enters the picture. They have shame. They have sin. The penalty, they no longer have peace with God, and they don't have access. They're outside the garden now. Jesus is the restorer of all things, and he brings this shalom. He is the prince of peace that allows us to have peace with God and access to him, and we hope in the glory of God that we have, we can, in, in, the, in the, it's so hard to, to come up with words to even say, but we can experience the glory of God now, and we will in the future be glorified in such a way that we will always be experiencing the glory of God. Always. That's our, our hope, but it, it just doesn't stop there. He, he doesn't say we just, we just rejoice in, in, in our hope, but it also says that we rejoice in, in our sufferings. Now, I'd like to make this point that the, the language doesn't say we, we rejoice that we are suffering. It's rejoicing that we have access to God in our suffering, right? So Jesus told us in this world we will have trouble. This church at Rome that we're talking about that we're receiving this letter, they're going to have trouble. The gospel's going to go out. It's going to multiply. But you get a few, a few decades down the road, and you have some Caesars that are hanging people on crosses, burning people at the stakes. You know, so they're going to have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I mean, it, Paul is saying to them, look, it's okay. You're going to suffer uh, but you still have access to God in the midst of that suffering, and, and, and he's using it as bad as it feels. He's using the suffering to, to produce in you patience, endurance. And that endurance, it gives birth to character, and that character gives birth to hope. So that you know, like, no matter how bad it gets right here, you have access to God, and you have character in the, in the sense that you hold fast to the truth of who he is, and you hope in his promises, and you know this is as bad as it gets because glorification is coming, because you have been justified by faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. And so we celebrate this access to our glorious God in our hope and our suffering. We're not just celebrating that we have peace with God and access to him, but we're celebrating that access, whether we're full of hope in that moment or whether we're suffering at that moment, we have the same access. This is what Paul wants them to know, and I think what he wants us uh, to know as well. Now, here's a third thing that we must celebrate. We have a father who will never abandon us. We have a father who will never abandon us. Romans chapter 5, 6 to 11 sort of makes this case and we'll take it slow, but I want you to look at it again. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now, now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? How do we know that God isn't going to change his mind and say, oh, they've sinned too much post putting their faith in Jesus and now I'm going to abandon them? In other words, can we lose our salvation? 
This is the question people ask. Can we lose our salvation? I just want you to follow the, 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 the scripture here. Romans chapter five, verse six to eight, it, it shows us very clearly that he knew we were still weak and at just the right time, he died for us. His motive for love is not predicated on our behavior. He already knew we were chaotic and hostile and alienated and enemies. He knew that. It's not predicated on our behavior, but based on his character and nature. And his capacity to love is steadfast, according to the scripture, from beginning to end. His steadfast love endures forever. Think about this. He did not have to send his son to die on the cross. He could have let the world burn itself out in its own sin. But instead, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. His motive isn't predicated on your behavior. His motive is all based in his character and nature, and it is love. He loved us, and he paid the ultimate price knowing that we were bent on still sinning, knowing that you would fight it your whole life. Romans chapter 5, 9, and 10, he makes an argument. If he went so far as to justify us by his blood, I mean, he's done the hard work of reconciling us and making us right, justifying us. Why would he not keep the rest of his promise to save us from his eternal wrath? Why would he send his son to die on a cross to justify us, to reconcile us, and then at some point along the way go, nope, now the scales are going to have some judgment here. He doesn't do that. He says, by grace, you were saved through faith. It's not predicated by your behavior. It's all about his character and nature. It's all about his motive and his intentionality. Just look again at verse 9 for me. I know we've read it multiple times, but I want you to see it again. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For we were his enemies and we were reconciled to God. While we were his enemies, now we're, we're his kids. Shall we not be saved by his life? Of course we will be. Paul is saying to them, your father will not abandon you. Your father will not abandon you. This is what Jesus teaches again when he teaches the prodigal son. That guy went, he left, he took everything he had, he knew the father, he chose to distance himself, he ended up in a pig pen. And he thought to himself, if I could just go home and be a slave at my father's house. And his father said, when he showed up, Get the robe, get him a ring, get him shoes. Let's have a party. My son is home. That's Jesus teaching that parable about the good father. He knows how good his father is. His steadfast love. The scripture is not lying when it says his steadfast love endures forever. And he demonstrates this according to to Paul here, he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is not about to abandon us. Romans chapter 5, verse 11 just, just is cause for celebration. More than that, we also rejoice. We celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Have you ever had a relationship that you wish you could reconcile 
but it just is seemingly impossible. Like you'd like it to be made right, but you can't make it happen, right? Those are most painful the closer you get. Your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, close friends, people in the church, whatever. You have a relationship you can't reconcile. You know the pain of that. This was that multiplied that you on your own could not be reconciled to God. And Paul is saying, we should just simply rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Like all that hostility, alienation, tension is gone. We've been made right with God through our faith in Jesus. And that should cause us to jump up and down. Now, you see what's going on in the world. Does the world need the gospel of Caesar or the gospel of Jesus? Tell me. It's the only hope to be reconciled with God. It's the deep need behind all the wars and rumors of wars. It's the deep need to be reconciled with God, to have hope in our sufferings and hope in our eternal glory. It's the deep need. It's the, the gospel of Jesus is different than every other gospel out there in that it simply just requires faith. So I hope you go home encouraged today as a follower of Jesus. I hope you think, man, access, I have peace, I've been reconciled, I've been justified by faith, and it means all these things for me. But I also hope that you go home thinking about people who have not yet known the goodness of God in this way. We're going to respond today by taking the Lord's Supper. It's like the perfect response to this passage of Scripture. And I want to tell you a little bit about what this Lord's Supper is all about. When you look at it, you know, and you think of it, maybe you think of a prepackaged styrofoam peanut smashed into a pancake and some grape juice. Maybe you look at that and that's what you see. It is much more than that. This is much more than that. This is not a, a rhythm that we take lightly, but this is a celebration. When Jesus gathered his disciples before he was crucified, he gathered them in Jerusalem in what we call the upper room, and he said to them, look, <clears throat> they didn't even know all that was coming yet at that point, and he said to them, like this bread, every time you take it, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Remember that this is my body broken for you. And this cup, this wine, this fruit of the vine, when you take it, I want you to remember that this is my, my blood shed for you. Do it in remembrance of me. This Lord's Supper thing is the church of Jesus reconnecting with everything that is good, terribly good about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And it is that that justified you and gave you peace with God and access to God and hope in your sufferings. 
and, and, and gave you a new father that would not abandon you. You know, it's, it's this that we're, we're celebrating today. Who is the Lord's Supper for? Well, this is for anyone who has confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the qualifier, that I'm a follower of Jesus, that I've been justified by faith. I've placed my trust in him. If you haven't yet, just watch the church celebrate the body of Christ and think about what it might be like to place your trust in him. Ask him to speak to you in this moment. He will if you ask him. Um, Church, when we come to the Lord's table, it, it, it admonishes us that we need to really humble ourselves before God and we need to confess our sins and repent. And so as we get ready to, to take the Lord's Supper, we're gonna sing one song over you. Maybe you just need to listen to the words and connect with them. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer just confessing and repenting. I don't know what, but you do. And so we're just gonna give you some moments. Let our, let our worship team just sing over you and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together.